This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. If you would please turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 16. I don't really have a title for this sermon today. I don't really feel like it needs a title. But I do have a main thought. As you're turning there, the main concept today that this entire thought is going to revolve around is we must know the difference between who people say he is and who he is to us, and with that knowledge should come action. We must know the difference of who people say he is, who he is to us, And then with that knowledge of the difference should come action. Our entire thought today revolves around this concept. We have to know the difference of who people say Jesus is and who we truly believe and who he is to us. And then that knowledge requires action. Matthew chapter 16 We'll begin reading in verse 13, and I don't really know when I'll stop. We're going through verse 28, if you want to put that in your notes, but for the sake of time, I don't know that I'll read all that right now. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? The New International Version there says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? It translates that very well when it puts the emphasis on you. It's very personal. Jesus is saying, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Verse 16 says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which is simply Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And then things kind of take a shifting, and it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, from the chief priests, and from the scribes, and be killed 
and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. A better translation of that is, God have mercy, or God be merciful to you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned in Peter, he turned to Peter, or turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The very guy he just declared he would build his church upon is now the guy he is calling Satan. Wow, how the tables turn. I can picture this, and if you'll picture this with me, it works a little better. Play the story out in your mind's eye. The disciples and Jesus are wandering through the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and he's hanging out, and I believe just in general conversation, he looks at him. He said, hey, who are the people saying that I am? Who is it that people are saying that I am? And they were like, well, they say, you ever heard somebody say they? They don't really like what's going on, or they said this, or they said that. They don't really work for me. We'll talk about it in a second. But they, some say you're John the Baptist, that you come back to life and you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Elijah was taken up in bodily form to heaven. So many believe that Jesus was the, the, the Elijah coming back to earth. And then others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And that's all fine and dandy. That's typically how we want to answer that question too. If Jesus walked in, he says, hey, who, who do they say that I am or who am I? If he asked the question just generally, who, who am I? then we typically would answer to reserve ourselves and to, to keep from being wrong, we would answer a way that they, whoever they is, would answer. Because we don't want to answer the way we believe. We want to answer the way they, because in case it's wrong, it has to be them that are wrong, not me, right? So, so Jesus is asking this question, who do they say that I am? And so we have to ask ourselves the question today, who do other people say that Jesus is? Outside of the church, we can look at it and we can say, well, maybe he's just a great teacher. He's a man that lived in the history books and, and he was a great teacher. Maybe he was one of the prophets of Christianity. Maybe he's that guy that everybody shows up to those churches to every Sunday and, and they worship and uh, they, he's got everybody fooled. Whatever it is, outside of the church, there are definitions that people have put on Jesus. We need to get in tune with those definitions. We've got to get better about understanding those definitions so that we can see the difference between who people say Jesus is and who we believe he is. People outside the church may say he's a nobody. They say that he's just a random guy that proclaimed the gospel, a guy that they claimed was, was raised from the dead, a guy who, whose, whose body was buried in a tomb and, and the disciples secretly stole him away. And so now this great fairy tale of, of his body being resurrected has lived throughout the ages. I really don't know, but outside of the church, there's all these different sayings of who Jesus is. They have their own opinion, right? What about inside the church? Inside the church, I think often we think of Jesus maybe as an ATM machine, if you will. He's a vending machine. He's the food pantry. 
He, he's the one that could uh, make a deposit into the, the bank account. He's the one that, that could be the doctor. He's an encourager. Now, he is all these things, don't get me wrong. But we, so often as the church, if we're asked the question of who Jesus is, we are answering the question more based on what he can do for us rather than who he really is. You with me? He's my friend. He's my provider. He, he takes care of me. He, he heals me when I'm sick. He, he lifts me up when I'm down. All of that is very true. But the way we're answering that question is answering what Jesus does for us rather than who is Jesus. So who do they say that I am? For us, I believe that we can even look at this whole concept, understanding, remember, we have to understand the difference between who they say Jesus is and who we truly believe he is, and with the knowledge, we have to act. They say all these other things, but truly, who is it that you say I am, is what he asked Peter. Peter kind of looks at the disciples, I believe, and answering for the rest of them as the spokesperson. He says in verse 16, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. We need to understand that Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is not his last name, it's who he is. Peter, before he was Peter, was Simon Barjona. He wasn't Peter such and such last name. He was Peter as of where he comes from. We just read that. So Jesus, being Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is Jesus Christ. What is Christ? Where did he come from? He came from Nazareth, but what is Christ? Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. What's the purpose of the Messiah? Well, the Messiah had been prophesied for years and years and years that he would come and he would take the people of Israel that was scattered to all the corners of the earth because we know the earth is round, doesn't really have corners, but all the corners of the earth and he would bring the people back together again. He would bring all of God's children back together again. He would establish them as the holy nation that they are. He would put Israel at the center point of all creation and they would be the ones that would live. He should, the Messiah that they're waiting on was going to be a hero. He was going to be a victor. He was going to be a warrior. He was going to be whatever he needed to be in order to bring all these people back together again and set Israel at the center of the world. Who do you say that I am? You are Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the answer to prophecy. You're the answer to prayer. You're the one that we've been waiting on since, since we left Egypt. You're the one that we've been waiting on all these years. You are Christ the son of the living God. How do we answer that question? I believe we've already looked at many ways that we answer it. But I think to make this personal and to make this real today, we have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to me? Who is Jesus to me? Not what has he done for me? Not what is he giving me? Who is he? Peter fortunately got the answer correct. And he got this praise from Jesus. Blessed are you, 
Simon Barjona. You're right. Everybody else obviously has this wrong, but you, Peter, have answered correctly. Do you know how Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah? How he knows that he's the Christ? Because he's experienced it. He's had to experience it. The only way that we can truly answer the question, who is Jesus to me, is I at some point in time throughout this journey, after I accepted the faith, after I accepted him as my savior, that was first and foremost, he gave me salvation, I received salvation. Once I was introduced to Jesus, once I had that relationship begin, from that point forward, at some point in time, we've experienced amazing things through him, and whatever it is that we've experienced defines who he is to us. Peter knew he was the Messiah because he had experienced it. He had seen miracles take place. He had seen healings take place. He had seen thousands of people fed with a happy meal. He had seen amazing miracles happen. And it only could be that he has to be the Messiah. He has to be the Christ. Nobody told Peter this. He said, you didn't know this from thinking human things. You didn't get this from your own thought process. This come only from the Father above. Nobody told him Jesus was the Messiah. He had experienced the Messiah. So what is it for us that we've experienced that would allow us to define who Jesus is to us? What is it in your life? And if we say, I don't know, then maybe we need to do some searching. Maybe we need to figure out what it is that really Jesus, what have we experienced through this relationship with Jesus? For me, it's grace, without a doubt. No question. It's not that he gives me grace, it's that he is grace. He's grace. So for me, who is Jesus to me? He is absolutely the Messiah. He is grace to me. I've experienced it. I know what it is. I know what it means for him to be grace. So we've got to understand, we've got to recognize what it is through our experience that we would use to define Jesus. He goes on and he's all excited and Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter. Peter means rock, Petros, rock. And from this point forward, Peter had a new name. He was no longer Simon Barjona. He was Peter. He was rock. I've put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground. He's my firm foundation. From this point forward, Peter is defined as a firm foundation. He's a rock. And Jesus said, on you, Peter, on you, the rock, the foundation, I'm going to build my church. That's an interesting concept. Because the church was built on a messed up, wild, crazy-tempered, cussing dude. You with me? Read the whole gospel. He couldn't even keep his sword in his sheath when they come to take Jesus. Home dog ch chops off the, the, the guard's ear. Jesus has to perform the healing and put it back on. 
He's hot-tempered. He can't keep himself together. When, when the young lady come up and ask, hey, you, do you know Jesus? You were a follower. Jesus is there. He's under trial. And they say, you, you have to know him. You, you're like him. You're there. He said, no. And he began to curse that he didn't know Jesus. But yet this is the same man. Jesus said on this rock, I'll build my church. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I like that verse, don't y'all? Can we just be real? Hell is attempting to tear the church all apart. Right? It's even to the point that Satan's got crafty enough to get in the church. And to begin to try to tear the church apart from the inside out. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail it. The way that we actually need to translate this is, this word hell is better translated as Hades. Hades is the place of death, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, would send us to Hades, but God, Jesus came that I might have life and have life abundantly. Eternity with him is eternal life. Death in, in hell is eternal death. You with me? Hades cannot uh, prevail against it. So couldn't we read this a little more literal and say, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you and my church will not die. You can't kill the church. You can kill a body of believers. You can make it so that the building has to be sold, but you cannot kill the church of Jesus Christ. There's no way. It will never die. The enemy brings division. There's things that come in, but the church will not die. Jesus' promises are true. I'm building this church, and on this foundation, the church is going to be started, and from this day forward, hell, death cannot destroy my church. The promise stands. And then what's beautiful here is where the action comes into play. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he's not just talking to Peter here. He turned later on. He's talking to the other disciples. He, he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? I don't have them right now because I don't like them bulging in my pocket when I'm up here trying to talk. There's a key that allows me to get into the door of this church. Right? Without that key, unless you break through, you're not getting in. Right? And just so we're all on the same page, there is no breaking in to heaven. You with me? There's not a back door. There's not a window you can crawl through. The only way to go through is to stand before judgment, before God, and to walk through the gate. Okay? And Jesus said... I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Peter did not need keys to open up the door for himself to walk in to glory. But what Jesus is saying in the context of on you, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So what's our goal? To build a, to build a, come on, you with me? On this rock, I will build my. 
So the keys of the kingdom have to do with building the church, correct? Peter now has the authority because he understands who the Messiah really is. He's answered correctly. He's got divine revelation from the Father. And because he's got divine revelation from the Father, Jesus has given him keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's given him the ability to open the door and allow somebody to go through, to allow somebody to enter in. He's given him the ability to be able to to open the door and hold the door like Brother Bruce does for you to walk right in to heaven. You with me? You see, how does Peter get that authority? It was all already done in heaven. He said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in, in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The better translation of this really is not shall be loosed in heaven, but it's more so already been loosed in heaven. Not that it shall be bound in heaven, but it's already been bound in heaven. So we have the authority to come against evil and to come against sin and to come against all these these things that the disciples were walking through through Acts. We have that authority not because of what Peter can do right now, but because what's already been done. You with me? We're not trying to go too deep. I'm not trying to go. We could unpack this for hours. The point is, Peter has authority And he holds the keys not because of who he is and not because of what he's done because in just a minute later, he turns right around, he's called Satan. The point is, he holds the keys of the kingdom of heaven just like you and I hold keys of the kingdom of heaven. It is our job. We are a key holder. Pastor Jonathan keeps a nice record. We do our best to keep up with the keys that that allow people to come in and out of the church, not because we don't want everybody to come in, but because we're trying to be responsible. We're trying to protect. It's a sacred place. Heaven is this sacred place that needs to be protected. But anybody can get in as long as you're led in by somebody with a key. The key is simply the gospel. It's not complicated. He said, on this rock, on Peter, I'm going to build my church. And Peter is now infused. He is now given the gospel. Look at Acts. The, the, when Acts first started, the 120 were gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came when the Holy Spirit fell. And they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. They walked out and all these people were hearing the, the gospel in their native languages. And then Peter takes the stand and he preaches this simple, simple sermon. And 3,000 people were entered into the kingdom of heaven because he turned the key and opened the door and allowed them to go through by the power of the gospel. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You've got to know the difference between who people say he is and who he is to you. And if we truly know the difference and we truly believe the difference and we understand, put the key in the door Turn it and open it with the gospel and let some people walk into heaven. If we've got the knowledge of the difference, if we've experienced it, you understand it, then action has to follow that knowledge. The action is let somebody in heaven lead them into the kingdom. Build the church. Things take this sour turn. Because just like us, Peter's idea of the Messiah was not Jesus' reality of the Messiah. The Bible says that Jesus began to show 
when Mark records this, he says Jesus began to teach. Why is that important? Important because if you look at verse twenty-two, very similar wording says that G- Peter began to rebuke. Jesus began to teach. Peter began to rebuke. There are seasons when Jesus is doing his best to teach us something. And we want to rebuke the very thing he's trying to teach us. He's trying to show us something. I personally like the way Matthew recorded this a little better, which is why I'm using this text. He's trying to show us something, but so often we want to rebuke what it is he's attempting to show us. He said, from that time, from the point that he declared the church was going to succeed... From that point forward, things changed. Both of these Gospels, Matthew and Mark, are the ones that I've mentioned now so far. They took this major turn at this point in time. This is the point where things now are turned from building these relationships and the miraculous life and the work of Christ now from Christ to the cross. And Jesus starts talking about this. What's going to happen? He began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and the scribes. Jesus knew exactly what was going to take place. You read through the trial. He stood before every one of those, the elders. He stood before the high, the high council. He stood before the chief and, and the scribes. He said, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to be raised. I don't know what Peter's idea was of the Messiah. I believe that the idea had to have been this idea of victory. This idea I told you in the very beginning, the, the Messiah would be a warrior. He would be, he's coming to save the world. He has to be this, this amazing uh, Samson-like warrior, if you will, that has this supernatural strength that can slay thousands of people on his own. He's got to have this, he's got to be this, this leader. He's got to be this one that's this driving force. That's the idea of Jesus, but the reality of Jesus is he's a servant. He showed up in the stable, the barn, and was laid in the feed trough. The reality of the Messiah versus the idea of the Messiah are two totally different things. And Peter, although he has the correct answer and although he knows who Jesus is, his idea and his attitude toward he, to, to who Jesus is, were wrong. they were incorrect. They're wrong. Peter, thinking what the other disciples were saying, I think he kind of pulled him to the side. Get into the the language of this, the original language, and dive a little deeper. Our English language don't do the scripture justice. Pulls him to the side, Jesus. This can't be. God have mercy on you. Far be it from you, Lord, this cannot happen. No, Jesus. He began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke him because Jesus' reality was not the same as Peter's ideology. His idea did not match up with what the reality was that Jesus had. And Jesus turned here, I believe, not just looking at Peter, but at the disciples. 
And he said, get behind me, Satan. You go read in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 4, where Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. It's the exact same wording in the Greek there as it is here. The exact same way that he rebuked Satan himself is the same way he rebuked Peter. The same guy that he just said, Peter, you're a rock, son. And on you, I'm going to build a church that cannot die. And just a few moments later, get behind me, Satan. The word Satan in the Hebrew sounds a lot like a word that's adversary. Satan is derived from adversary. Satan is who Satan is because he's simply against what and who Jesus is. He's the adversary. He's the one that he's a, he, he's the one that's the opposite. Remember? Light, dark, life, death. And in this moment, Jesus is calling Peter Satan, but he's talking to the spirit of adversity in Peter. He's talking to the spirit of Satan that's taken over. You're against me right now, Peter. Your idea is not matching up with my reality, and because your idea is not matching up with my reality, you are might as well be on Satan's team rather than my team. Get behind me. You're a hindrance. You're a stumbling block. You're going to make me fall if you don't move. He said, your mind is set on things of man, not on things of God. I got it. Verse 23. He said, get behind me, Satan, your hindrance. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Last week I preached the sermon to you, I'll take the crumbs. Maybe you remember. If not, go find it. When Jesus is feeding the thousands and he sends the disciples to pick up the leftovers, I believe it's in that moment is what I told you. I believe in that moment they realized what it meant to serve. And what a blessing it was to just simply have crumbs in their basket after everybody else had ate. And as long as they would do what Jesus said, as long as they would serve the way Jesus said, there would always be crumbs in the basket. And now here, again, I told you it wasn't an action problem last week. It was an attitude problem. And here again, it's an attitude issue. It's a mindset. You're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're not concerned with God. Rather, you're concerned with man. You don't want me to go through this because that would mean I'd have to leave you. You don't want me to go through death. You don't want me to be tried because that would mean you would have to walk on your own. You'd have to walk in faith and in boldness. You'd have to fulfill the purpose of what it is the gospel is supposed to do by yourself rather than having me leading you. He said, get your mind off the things of man but instead get them on the things of God. The difference has to be known 
between what other people believe Jesus is, who he is to you, and then that knowledge has to bring an action. Action without the mindset, though, might as well be a spirit of Satan. That's harsh. Action that is under the mindset and under the intention of that, that, that is against the reality of what Jesus is and who Jesus is and what he came to do is under the spirit of Satan. And then he goes on in the next little portion of this chapter and he says, if any man is to follow after me, he's got to take up his cross. That means as Jesus is on the road and he's walking through suffering, he's carrying his cross, our footsteps literally have to be in his footsteps. We've literally got to walk the same path. He said, if you try to save your life, then you're certainly going to lose it. But those that are willing to lose their life will save it by taking up the cross. What is the cross? I think we like to think of things such as sickness, loss, mourning, struggles. But can't we just be real for a second? Those are back on the things that are of the mindset of man, not the mindset of God. When I hurt because I lose a loved one, that's me, man, human being hurting. That's not on the mindset of God. You with me? Distinguish the two. When I'm walking through a dark night and I'm battling with a, a depression, this dark season, whatever it is, that's a thing of man. That's not a thing of God. And so if we're going to distinguish the two, our cross that we've got to carry can't be a cross of man. It has to be a cross of God. You with me? Following so far? So what are the crosses that God desires us to carry? What is it that we have to suffer? Because in our mind, we think of emotional, physical, and this, this mental suffering as the cross. That's not the cross. The cross is this spiritual suffering. Suffering to kill the flesh in order to live a life of holiness. To live a life of God's standard. To live a life that's completely against the culture. To carry the cross means walking a life that is a life that's pleasing to God. Regardless of what man thinks, we're not setting our thoughts on the thoughts of man. We're setting our thoughts on the things of God. He said, if you want to save your life, you want to live and you want to have eternity with me, then you've got to kill off your flesh. You've got to sacrifice yourself. What it is that you want, what it is that we desire so that we can walk out who God intended us to be. We've got to know the difference between who people say he is and who he is to us. And with that knowledge comes action. The action of 
opening the doors to the kingdom of heaven. Sharing the gospel. Shifting our mindset from the things of man to the things of God. I don't know about you. The last thing that I would ever want to hear come out of Jesus, this is the strongest rebuke we ever know that he made to a human being. The last thing that I want to hear is get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance. Peter had a purpose. He had a calling. He was going to be the one that Jesus was going to build the church on. In that moment, he was nothing but a stumbling block. He got himself together, then he fell apart again. Then he got himself together and he got filled with the Holy Ghost, and then he began to change the world. Point is, maybe we're falling apart. Maybe we don't have a clue who Jesus really is to us. Maybe we have more answers about who the people inside the church and the people outside the church say that Jesus is rather than who he really is to us. Maybe we're in the season of, of fall apart. Maybe we need to pull it back together. Maybe it is that in this season, Jesus is looking at you and just saying, get out of my way, Satan. Move out the way. You're just holding up progress. Step out the way. Put yourself back together. Let God piece it back together and walk on. Later, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, I'm tired of you asking this question. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Father, we've heard your word today. Got to believe this is such a powerful moment in history that we, re we read and in scripture that was recorded by the writers of your gospel, Lord. I believe this was a turning point. This was the point that things began to change. The focus was all brought together from the Christ, the cross, the kingdom. Father, we've heard your word today. I believe that you're asking us who do people, who do they say that I am? Lord, it's so much easier to give their answer than our answer. But that wasn't good enough for you, and you had to ask those disciples, but who is it that you say that I am? And I believe today, God, as disciples, you're asking us who it is that we say that you are. Lord, I believe that you're wanting answers from us. You need us to know this difference. Because it's through the difference that action takes place and we can begin to open up the doors to the kingdom of heaven and invite people in. The whole purpose and the mission, Lord, of you sending your son was so that the kingdom of heaven could establish its place and grow and be filled with your creation. Father, we have the power today, the authority not because of anything we've done, not because anything that we can bind or loose, but what's already been bound and loosed in heaven in the heavenly realms, what's already been done by the power of the blood of Jesus, we can open up the doors through simply the power of the gospel today 
to allow people into the kingdom. Lord, maybe our mindset's not on you today. Maybe our mindset's on the things of man. Maybe we have our idea of what this should look like. Maybe we have our idea of what a Christian walk, a Christian life should look like. But the reality is there's suffering, there's pain, there's sacrifice. The reality is for you to be the Messiah was not for you to be a victor or a warrior, but it was for you to be the the lowly servant that would wash your disciples' feet. Father, maybe our reality, our idea doesn't match up with your reality today. Father, put us in line. Put us in alignment with what you need us to see and believe so that we could use the keys that you've put in our hand. Father, let the knowledge that we have to understand the difference between what other people, what they say, and what we know through experience, God, let it be put into action today. Let us carry those crosses. Family, you're here today, and maybe you don't know Jesus. Today's a great day to be introduced to Jesus. You say, well, I don't want to be introduced to Jesus. You just said it was hard and it was suffering. The reward is so, so, so much better than the cost of the pain and suffering. You've got your mind on things of man because pain and suffering are are here and in this moment, but the things of God are eternal. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've distanced yourself from that relationship with Jesus. I'm telling you today, Jesus came so that you could have life and have it abundantly. You don't know Jesus today. and You'd like to know him. Would you just slip up your hand? Can't leave this moment without asking this question. Hallelujah. Father, by the evidence of what we believe, being in this room, Father, if we're all truthful, we're disciples. Lord, and if we're disciples of you, you're asking us today, do you really know me? Have you really experienced me? Father, you're waiting on action to take place. Family, I want to ask you, if you're comfortable, could we just gather in this altar for a few moments and ask the Lord to begin to show us who He really is, to let us recount those experiences of life, let us realize that the keys of the kingdom of heaven are in our hand by the power of the gospel. Could we come and pray together for a moment? Take that step. We want to just believe in faith that God's calling us to a deeper relationship. He's calling us to something more. Father, give us wisdom. Give us eyes to see, Lord, who you are. God, who the world believes that you are. We have to know what they believe. We have to know what they think so that we can actually counter that to to go about uh, fixing and correcting God and displaying who the true Christ is rather than the false Christ that they've got in their heart. Now, we've experienced something great with you. Let us never forget. Let our testimony, Lord, be what would bring power to people around us. 
God, you've given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven by the power of the gospel, Lord. Our life is a a shining light of that. It's an example of that, our experience of that. Father, let us walk it out daily. Let us realize that this cross that we've got to carry, Lord, is not a light cross, but it's a heavy cross. It's a cross of of a life of integrity, a life of of honesty, a life of purity, Father, a life that you're calling us holiness and, and sanctification to be different, God, to stand out. Lord, let us live that life that you're calling us to live as we pick up our cross and carry our cross behind you, Father, behind you, Jesus, so that we could live the life that you have for us. If it means we lose this life, these pleasures here on earth, we lose them, Lord, but it's to gain a life of eternity with you. Father, I thank you Father, I pray lastly for the mindsets, for our attitudes. God, maybe we can identify who you are. Maybe like Peter, we can say you are Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. Maybe we can identify that, God. But our belief of what that really looks like is not quite right. God, let us never be a stumbling block. Let us remain focused on who you are. Let us remain focused, God, on the things of God, not the things of man. Let us remain focused, Lord, on who you are and what you have for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Take just a moment and tell him how good he is. Your goodness, Father, has been chasing after me. Since the very beginning of time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for our nation. Today, we take a moment as this was a week of remembrance. Got a remembrance of when evil came against our nation, Lord, and such destruction, such loss. Father, we remember those that were lost on the attacks of 9-11. Father, we remember those that have had loved ones that have paid the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. God, we pray for those that are battling on behalf of our freedom daily. Lord, I pray for the the leaders that are making decisions for our nation, for our militaries. Father, give them direction and wisdom. Maybe they won't ask you, Father, but I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would give them wisdom and guidance. Let them see direction. Lord, I pray for our state and community leaders as they attempt to make decisions that they think may be the best, Lord. God, we've never had their job. I don't know what the answers are. Father, but you do. And I pray that you would give them a peace about proper direction, wisdom about leadership. Let them be humble and stay under humility, Father, so that they could lead the way that they're supposed to lead.
Father, I pray for our churches. So many people connected to different churches today are battling with sickness. They're battling with a virus, Father, that is out of the result of them wanting to gather to worship. Lord, I pray that you give our churches, the leadership of our churches, wisdom and guidance and direction. Humility, Father, to make decisions that are the proper decisions to protect your people. Father, we thank you today. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for this church family. Lord, I thank you for the time of fellowship we had earlier today, this time together we've had in your presence together. Lord, here today in this worship service, God, I pray blessings on them. I pray that you would bless them and keep them, Lord. Let your face shine on them. Give them grace and peace. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah.